Now entering Nerdist.com. My name is Ben Blacker. I'm the host and creator of the Nerdist Writers Panel, which you are currently listening to. I'm also a TV writer myself, having written for Supernatural, Super Ninjas, and currently for uh, the DreamWorks Netflix program Puss in Boots. Check it out. It's now available. I'm also the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, a stage program in the style of old-time radio that is now a podcast right here on the Nerdist Network every week. Go to thrillingadventurehour.com for more details. If you enjoy the Nerdist Writers Panel, please leave a review on iTunes and let us know who you want to see on this program by following me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, just like it sounds, and by liking this show on Facebook, facebook.com slash Panel. Now, here's a theme song. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel, and it's hosted by Ben Blacker, where he gets a bunch of writers, and he asks them lots of questions, and it's starting now, so this will be the end of the theme. That's not how Most people oh, don't have right? cable. Listen, this is how we start. Uh, Chris Cantwell, Chris Rogers are here. Thank you guys for being here. Halt and Catch Fire is their show. We just started. This is how people watch TV. Yes. We don't, it, like, only my mom sits down to watch Two and a Half Men when it is live. Yeah, yeah, I don't do, I don't, I don't watch I'm sorry, Big Bang live. Theory. Sorry, mom. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, mom. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, I think, like, the, the thing of that, though, is that you need live viewers to convince the network to renew the show. Right. Um, and that's like, it's kind of maybe a model that's a little caught between because now you have these streaming services and subscription services where that's like not a huge issue for them. But uh, it's funny because, you know, people are like, no, I, I'm catching up on it now. And it's right. like, that's great. But They'll watch it on Netflix. Turn your TV on when it's on. Although I think yeah. AMC has done you guys a real service in rerunning the hell out of the show, especially before finale. Yeah, they stuff. caught. They, they, I was saying that's how I caught up. Yeah, a lot oh, of people cool. caught up that way. I, I watched True Detective last night live. Oh. But I actually, it's actually not true. I started it <laughs> a minute in to the DVR recording. And there was some sort of like sensory pleasure I got from just like starting it. At like nine oh one, and being like, well, I could fast forward a minute if I, I wanted skip to. Skip the credits. But I could, yeah, yeah, but I could just blow Cohen. through this. But uh, <laughs> and that's a show I'm worried about not having seen live because you know it could end like the last. And one I actually, ended, actually, and I that's one reason. That's that. one reason yeah. why I started it. I was like, okay. I need to get in there. I need to find out what's going on. And it, you find out pretty quick, okay. and you're like, okay. Well, there are those shows, right, yeah. that are sort of treated like sporting events. Like mm-hmm. we all know, like live sports do mm-hmm. the best numbers, but right. Walking Dead is a show that people watch yeah. live, or Mad Men was a show that generally people watch live. Mm-hmm. Do you guys feel a pressure to make your series a series of events so that people will tune in week to week? I feel like that would be, it would go against the grain of the show. I yeah. just feel like the show doesn't merit that. The world of the show, if you tried to make it so high stakes where you needed to watch it right then to avoid spoilers, I feel like we could risk being arch just because we're dealing with Mm. video game and internet technology in 1985. (laughs) Um, It's not like a a Game of Thrones level spoiler. Um, Although who's to say? I think think that makes it unnatural. Like Whenever you're anticipating the audience broadly as a writer, I feel like you're you're letting something in that's going to just take you away from doubling down on character and story and the things that would make it work. So, Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, I think it's just we we are a show where nobody has a gun or at least a real gun. There are some stock guns, um, but not yet. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you have to own that and not pretend. You know, because you can tip into melodrama pretty quick mm-hmm. if that if that gets important to you. It does make sense. I mean, I guess part of the question built into that question is sort of like, how do you tell stories in this world? I mean. Mad Men is actually not a bad model because it's not a show with guns. It's mm-hmm. not a show with zombies. Right. It's a show about. 
characters' lives changing. And you guys made a big shift between season one and season two that I thought was really interesting. Was there ever a conversation about moving that up? And, you know, basically, how do you dole out story so there mm-hmm. is story every week? I think, you know, for for our show, it's really, it boils down to the characters. And we intended always for the characters to drive the story, especially when it came to the tech, because the tech mm-hmm. can get a little, you know, it can get a little clean and, and dry and, and uh, sterile um, if you're just knee-deep in motherboards all day. But I think that even after the first season, we said, these characters are so vivid mm-hmm. and we have such a great cast that mm-hmm. let's just really have them drive the story. And so when we're looking for how to do conflict between Cameron and Donna or Joe and Gordon or any any permutation of the characters, I think we're looking for a technology storyline that can organically feed into that yeah. character conflict mm-hmm. or, or relationship that we want to tell. So. And I'll say that there's also just like to be a little like new agey about it. There are pieces of it that just you, you touch it and suddenly you're like, oh, this is this feels really good. And I think that mutiny house and kind of like this mm-hmm. thing of like video games and, the, and this kind of like animal house startup kind of mentality. We, we kind of when we were telling those stories, it was like you felt like you were in the groove. There were a lot of ideas in the room. A lot of people were talking. Like, mm-hmm. you got a sense where the energy is, and it just felt like, you know, I don't think we made a deliberate choice to, to vacate any one uh, part of the story and, and re-inhabit another so much as we just kind of, like, went where it felt mm-hmm. exciting to us. Oh, absolutely. You know? yeah. Oftentimes the show or the room tells you where yeah. the show should go. Uh, before we... I, I, I want to hear about the room that you guys work with and that you put together, sure. but um, before that, let's talk about the beginnings of this show. Mm-hmm. In fact... Forget it. Let's talk about the beginnings of you two. <laughs> I am certain All right. that oh, you have told the story one million times. Uh, I work with a writing partner. We have the same name. Okay. We are sick of telling the story. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We and tell people know. when we go to a meeting, you can call us both Ben. Like, yeah. it's yeah. fine. You don't have to ask which is which. Do they call you the Bens? Yeah, they sure do. And when they oh. call us the Chris's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's like the thing. Uh, the Jeffs were around the for Jeffs. a while. Do you know yeah. the Jeffs? No, the Jeffs. Jeffs. No, we the Jeffs. They were like a generation above us. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. Um, the Bens sounds a little like the Bens. You know, like, yeah, like the Ben's. So nobody wants badly. us. Yeah, yeah you're just bleeding out the nose yeah. and ears. Exactly. <laughs> These guys Meetings are so don't good. End well. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, so tell me, how did you guys start? You can give the short version, you can give the made up version of how you started working together. We, uh, we both have writing backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I went through the screenwriting program at USC back in the day uh, with a capital D. Um, it could not have been that long ago. No, I graduated in 04. <laughs> Yeah, that's not uh, that it long. It starts ago. to feel long when you know you find somebody who graduated in '09. Sure, and you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> well, forget it. Um, and then uh, I just had a bunch of random odd jobs. I ended up at a startup doing digital stuff, digital video, um, and then uh, the startup got acquired by Disney, and suddenly I was doing. Um, Online social media marketing. I was a creative director at Disney. And actually, can I plug Invisible Engine, which was your old uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, wow. uh, video production group? Really funny sketches that are still out and there. Still like, out there? Yeah, Chris well, Cantwell in like in still attitudes the that way. You, you you have not seen Chris Cantwell in these attitudes <laughs> as a father, and I, it's I think it's true. worth revisiting. It's the like canon. you got to find yeah. them on the internet, like the way you find old coins with a metal detector. Admiral, That's how you find the what's the one? Admiral Nelson is that my favorite? That's like the like the second short we did. Yeah, if, if it's like class. it's like the like Greek mythology. You know, there's like the Olympians and then there's the Titans, like the guys that came before the gods. Like <laughs> I feel like we were that on the internet in terms of internet video, where it was just like the people that just got 
killed by their yeah. their offspring. Yeah. Um, were you? What was your involvement? Were you writing, producing, acting in? What, what was your involvement with these all? Things? So like yeah. I, you know, I came out of I came out of film school and uh, I had an assistant job, um, and it was terrible, and I quit. <laughs> Um, and I used some money uh, that my grandmother had left me, and I shot uh, a feature film with two guys from USC, mm-hmm. um, and it went nowhere. And uh, while we while we were waiting around, waiting on festivals and stuff, we had, we had shot it digitally. So it, at that time, it was cheaper to buy the equipment than it was to rent it. Hmm. So we just had all this video equipment lying around. So we started making shorts. We were just like, I got an idea. We started doing a short a week. Um, that's and, a great yeah. way to learn your chops. It was awesome. I mean, like, yeah. we were in them, we edited them, no we wrote them, right. we directed yeah. them. Yeah, exactly. Just putting them up. And we yeah. started, you know, YouTube came around, I guess, like, around right around that time. And so um, we put them up on YouTube for people to be able to find them because hosting the QuickTime movies and then sending mm-hmm. the web address to your friends and family was getting to be a pain in the ass. <laughs> sure. Um, so we put them up on YouTube, and they did okay. And, like, you know, it was the things like... Whoa, we're being hosted on the front page of Yahoo before Yahoo had a video <laughs> player service that is now subsequently gone. You know, it was like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, and so our, we came, we kind of created a little company, the three of us, and then we got brought in-house by this, this, this startup to do all their video content, hmm. and then the startup got acquired by Disney, and then I was the creative director. And, um, oh, my God. Yeah, so That's I made so less bizarre. and less videos <laughs> right. and was writing less and less the more I moved up that chain. And by 2009... Oh, yeah. It had moved from YouTube and videos to Facebook and Twitter. So Disney wanted to editorialize all of their property on Facebook and make it like this big ecosystem. So we brought in someone with magazine experience to help do that editorial process. And Chris had just come out of magazines because he was in Condé Nast on the West Coast before they liquidated it. <laughs> yeah, what were you doing there? Uh, well, you know, I mean, I, I think the dream for me was always to do, you know, the New Yorker or Vanity Fair or this kind of like East Coast dream of what magazines were under Tina Brown. So I, mm-hmm. I came out of school and I, I worked for The Atlantic to start and uh, was doing like political stuff in D.C. coverage for them. And, you know, I, I think that's what I always thought I would do. And I just happened to kind of run into the buzzsaw that was the death of the magazine industry to some extent. Um, so I'd come out here and I was working for Architectural Digest for three years and working at Condé Nast and really like hoping to make the jump over. Um when they kind of brought in McKinsey, and McKinsey was like, maybe you don't need a Los Angeles office at all. Huh. Um, so I was very lucky in that I kind of made a career change, right? At, at the time, Disney was looking for someone with kind of like, I don't know, do we call it like an old world skill set? But, um, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> yes. and, then, and then like, but there was also this like really cool thing that happened because I was like, I was over there and I was like, you know what, I'm going to be like a company man at Disney. Like, I am pumped. I am investing in this. Like, this is me putting away childish things because I'd gone through the UCLA graduate program in screenwriting um, and lo and behold we start going out on these like sales pitches and I'm going out with Chris. And this sales yeah. pitch is meaning like internal pitches. Yeah. So we would go to every business unit. We're like, oh, we're going to go to parks. We're going to go yeah. to DreamWorks. DreamWorks. We're going to go to yeah. uh, you know, home entertainment. And what like, can you think of examples? What were you pitching? So it'd be like there'd be a movie property like uh, Princess and the Frog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, an old fave. And they would Come to us, and they'd say, "Okay, how are we gonna how are we gonna represent Princess and the Frog on social media across social media platforms?" And right. we'd go in and be like, "Okay, here's what we're gonna do on Facebook," and yeah. that would be very much Chris. And mm-hmm. here's what we're gonna here's some video content that we're gonna pitch you, like that we want to try to do. And if that if they ever said yes to that, which was rarely, <laughs> I would do that. 
Um, you know, and then yeah. there would be Twitter stuff, and there would be messaging, and there'd be media buys, and all that kind mm-hmm. of. We also had to like glorious early, like there were some like some. I don't know. I call them dogs lovingly, but like like. <laughs> Prince of Persia was like it's not the the, the tracking isn't going the way right. we want it to like can we rebrand yeah. this like what's working and it was like we'd have to come up with things like date night is Jake night you know like we're <laughs> like we're really focusing on Jake Gyllenhaal right. and you know like uh, that's great you know so you got a little bit of uh, it's a little bit of the advertising sensibility but you know we were doing this for a while and we kind of developed this shorthand and I think just like in an honest bid to just like go be friends it was like well let's go downtown to bar one or seven which is endangered i guess was going to be extinct um and we're having some beers and we kind of both realized we had this writing background and chris had this really cool idea for a feature um and i was really thinking tv at the time i had Mm -hmm. like just gone through the wire i kind of like (laughs) had that realization we were all having about 40 years ago where it's like oh the best movies the last 10 years have been tv shows which Um, is something chris said to me at the bar and i was like oh because i had not (laughs) been watching television yeah yeah Yeah. well this also i mean the wire is someone who comes from a journalistic background. Yeah, well, because that was like, it can be an enormous thing for you. Yeah, because well, yeah, I mean, that, that was like, this is not only entertaining as hell, but it's like, it's smart, and you're like eating your vegetables, and you're seeing these people that you don't normally see, and it's like one of these stories, like, you would never sign up hmm. to see the inner workings of Baltimore City Hall, you know, just like if you read that on your TV guide. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, I, I think Halt to an extent is that, because it, it's a very like personal story for Chris, but then we found... I don't know, a receptive environment. We were very lucky in our time and place, hmm. I think, with that idea. Mm-hmm. So we wrote this We wrote yeah. this uh, pilot. We wrote uh, this feature idea I had. We ended up writing as a pilot together. Mm-hmm. What was that? Can you talk about it? It was called Very Prepared Men, mm-hmm. which is a cool title. <laughs> uh, Thanks I'm just going to just put it out there. Yeah. Empirically cool title. Um, and it was about secret societies, uh, but it was not like the skulls. It was more like uh, influenced by like uh, the Fellowship, and some of these like more like yeah. shadowy financial the Bilderberg Group institutions mm-hmm. yeah. and things like that. And what's that book? Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Yeah, it was like yeah. stuff like that. And it was it was somebody uh, getting recruited out of finance into this kind of organization. And you gave that to a guy who had also been a West Coast Condé Nast guy, yeah, that editor GQ, and he's our manager. Now. He had just become a manager at Management 360, Chris Uvane, mm-hmm. and he read it. And he said, this is good. And he called my agent, Aaron Hart, and said, these guys are really good. You know, do you, do you, are you serious about representing these guys? Because I was, a, you know, a, a tiny little tadpole uh, in, in Aaron's client roster. And Aaron said, yeah, let me read it. And he did. And then uh, they all kind of came back to us and said, write something else hmm. so we can try to staff you. All right. So I want to I step yeah. back for a second and sort of unpack some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, out of this sit-down and this idea... How did you two work together? How did you figure out yeah. how to work together? Um, Microsoft Word uh, yeah. margin comments. Track changes, yeah. It's pretty much how yeah. we do it. Like, yeah, we, we've talked about this before. Like, um, if you're a comedy partnership, feels like you got to mm-hmm. be, who knows, but it feels like you got to be in the room together mm-hmm. 99% of the time to make sure you're laughing and you're trying to make someone else laugh. I feel like with our stuff, the way we talk about it is, you just need to get something down on paper so that you don't feel judged for one moment. Yeah. So that you feel free to do something. Yeah. And then give it to your partner. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, so but that's what we would do is I would lay something down on the pages, send them to Chris. Chris would not go into the actual document just so we wouldn't get confused. Mm-hmm. 
And so we would, I would control the master final draft document. Chris would go in and, and cut and paste a lot of that stuff into Microsoft Word. Mm-hmm. And then he would put tracked changes on the side, little margin comments mm-hmm. through all things, you know, like consider this but dialogue they'd, instead. They'd be actual oh, yeah. changes or suggestions, not yeah. just notes. No, it'd okay. be like this line. Let's, what if you wrote this, oh, you know, and, and um, consider cutting is a, like a Chris Rogers <laughs> phrase. Yep. Yeah. That's going to be I'm Chris's memoir. Finished, I think. Yeah. Consider, consider cutting. Um, and can so there's a lot I back of that. Up and flatter you real quick, though, just because I feel like we all, you know, especially if you have friends that are writers and you're a writer, you're constantly offering to read people's scripts mm-hmm. or being made to read people's scripts. And. I will say, like, usually that's an exercise in, like, generosity, where you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find what I like, I'm going to try to give you constructive sure. notes, and I'm going to, you know, but uh, not be worried. And I just remember reading what you had a very prepared man and being like, can I curse on this? Yes. Fuck, this is so good. <laughs> and just being, like, kind of pissed about it and being like, oh, God, this guy is really good. Like, like I don't know if I can write better than this. Hmm. Like, I might need to try to, like, Work with, and I think like the stuff I find really undeniable. It's impossible for me not to reach in and, and just start messing with stuff. Like mm-hmm. start like trying to like being like, oh, but if you did this here, like you, like I, you get really excited and you can't keep your hands. Yeah. Out. And I don't feel that way about a lot of stuff, but I I still remember reading that and being like, you know, turning to my now wife and saying like, oh god damn it, this is really good. <laughs> this is really good. Um, so so I think you have to have that to be in a partnership. You have to like like each other's stuff that mm-hmm. much. But um, uh, that's a process. really interesting process. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we again we've talked to a bunch of partners, and it's not dissimilar to the way other people work. Uh, mm-hmm. Although it's interesting to me that someone is still very much steering that script. Well, it's. I think both of us yeah, are at this point. I mean, yeah. it's 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 uh, the only way. It's it's. It's like you know you're dancing, and and if somebody's got to take that first step in order mm-hmm. to tell you where you're going, but like it's just, you know. But there's oftentimes now with the show where Chris will be the first one to face the blank page. Sure. Mm-hmm. I think actually the way we've evolved now, because back then it was I would write at night and I would send Chris's Chris pages, and then he would come back in the morning because Chris oh, wow. was up really early, and so we would just kind of do twenty four seven. That's um, incredibly efficient. It was. Yeah, it, it, was made, awesome. it made us very fast. And I feel like that was one yeah. of our like early like marketing ploys yeah. with studios. It was like we're quick, we're really fast. Yeah. And the stuff yeah. that Chris would put into the script changes, you know, would be stuff that made it infinitely better. It would be like, oh yeah, we don't need these four pages. Mm-hmm. I just feel like I go way overboard on so many things. So much dialogue. And so Chris pairing that back or changing it and turning yeah. it into, this is three line. Ex- this is going to be a three-line exchange between these three characters. That's great. That would be like, oh, this is fantastic. Yeah, now. That's incredibly valuable. Yeah. And um, so, let me, let me yeah. just ask you one quick thing before I ask yeah. how you work now. Um, did you break the story together? Yeah. Or was this so a story that you knew? Well, this Very Prepared Men was the only time that, we, that I kind of started it because I had the idea. Mm-hmm. The way we do it now is we'll we'll be together the whole time mm-hmm. and break the story mm-hmm. um, in that phase. We're together the whole time, so we're just having coffee. We're at somebody's house. We're doing. We're in the car driving around for stuff, and and we just break it that way. Mm-hmm. Here's the beginning, middle, and end. Here's who the character is. Here's what he wants. Here's this character. Here's what she wants. And uh, we make sure that we're on the same page there. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point, we go, okay, I guess we should start. Um, and then if we, anything ever kind of gets off track, we're always like, oh, this feels weird. Mm-hmm. Then we'll meet up again. Mm-hmm. Now That's with right. the show, it's super different because we're together all the time. And we break it in a room with right. know, six other people, six, seven other people. Yeah. yeah. And, but it, it evolved. But like the way, we, the way season two started working was I feel like we would 
if the episode we were writing, we would capture everything in the room that was said. We also had the writer's assistant notes. Mm-hmm. Chris would take the writer's assistant notes and his notes mm-hmm. and my notes that I would send Chris, and Chris would build out what's called the beat sheet. Mm-hmm. Wow. Slash outline. So we would mm-hmm. go pretty much like, here's, here's where we want to be. And some of it would be like very well written out with dialogue mm-hmm. that would just make it right into the episode. Some of it would be like, awesome Joe moment here where he says X thing to right, camera. Right, right. And that'd be in bold. <laughs> this is what needs yeah. to be done. Yes. Yeah. And then I would take that out and fill out that into an outline. Our outlines on the show are pretty long. Mm-hmm. They can be like 25 to 30 page oh, outlines. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I would build out a first draft of that. It would go back to Chris. Chris would rewrite that. Go back to me. I would rewrite that. Then it would go to Jonathan, who was our other executive producer on season one and two. Mm-hmm. He would make suggestions. Um, and this is still in the outline. This is still in the outline phase. Yeah. Then it goes to the network. Wow. Uh, they so give how us long notes. Did this until it went to the network? How long did that process take? It was probably two months per episode, right? Eight weeks, six what? weeks uh, for scripts. So, so for the script, for yeah. the script, yeah. for that, the outline would go. Wouldn't take that long. I mean, I oh, the, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, the whole process from like we're breaking it in the room to right. the script is yeah. being delivered, production white, probably two months. Yeah, six in, weeks. In, you know, I mean, and the goal was, you know, with making these absurdly long outlines, and we would have internal jokes in the writers' room about like trying to get past thirty pages, like who could do the longest <laughs> outline that you would just add water. You know, like we really wanted to, we really wanted to be representative of what the script was going to be. Sure, absolutely. Um, because like it's a good way to not that we were worried about this in our room, but like quality control, but yeah. just just have everyone on the same page when you go away to script. Because I think right. that's when you can get this distortion of like you think you broke one thing and then it comes back and you're like, oh, like this is Absolutely. this is a new scene. Um, um, yeah. But, but then yeah. we went to script and and you know what the the nice thing was even with a thirty page outline, you can then the stuff you're discovering in this episode script. What I discovered at least was it was just the fun stuff. Yeah. You know, like you're like okay, this story has been beat up. The tires right. have been mm-hmm. kicked six ways from Sunday. Now, you know, this moment where Joe comes to the door and Gordon says, what's going on? Is everything okay? I can build that out with mm-hmm. Chris into a cool moment. Mm-hmm. What's Gordon doing? Um, what emotional state is Gordon in when Joe knocks on the door? Is Joe knocking on the door? Is he somewhere else? Where's mm-hmm. Joe coming from? What's the interaction? What's the kind of dressing around the scene? Mm-hmm. Now that we know that the story beat is... Joe comes here, talks to Gordon about this. They both leave in this new, you know, emotional state. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able to kind of flesh those out, and that didn't really come until wow. script. And that was the most fun part yeah. of the process. Yeah. I feel like is yeah. when you get to script. <laughs> there's times in the outline where you're like, "I know there's a beat here. Maybe Bosworth kills himself. I don't know." You know, like and you and you just write that in. You know, just to fuck with the other guy too. Like I think like jokes are an important part of the outlining mm-hmm. where you just like. Write something <laughs> awful in just to see. If the, the we had to be careful with that though because yeah, we did leave it. There was we one thing that left in, in yeah. and it made it all the way to script that was issued to cast, and it was oh, to the to the tone meeting where they're yeah. like we, the director yeah. tone meeting, and it yeah. was uh, was it? we so next week's episode, which so that'll be episode seven, which mm-hmm. everyone will have seen by now. But uh, <laughs> it's so uh, bad that we're telling <laughs> no, but I want to explain it. So if he listens to this, he's going to understand where we're coming from. So like this is an homage. By we, the way, in season one, it. we built out the Cardiff Electric office, mm-hmm. and they all we had nicknames for the the extras because mm-hmm. the extras don't have lines, but sure. you need actors who can come in and like. Mm-hmm. Do this, and or you react. want the same people? Yeah, exactly. Because it's an be office. Identify, the yes. same thing with the mutiny yeah. house. There are coders that don't sure. have lines, but they're characters, right. mm-hmm. and we have short na- we have shorthand names for them too. Oh, so no. One guy in casting, or in, in the extras casting for Cardiff Electric that we loved. He's the nicest guy on set too. We talked yeah. to him, and, you know, and he was s- super cool. He's a Georgia local. We called him Old Jeff. 
Yeah, just, he just, just looked like an old Jeff. He would come up Jeff and he'd be like, "There's old Jeff over there." Yeah, yeah like, he'd be like, "Old." And, and we, what we loved about old, yeah, exactly. He's well, like, he, has, he has gray hair. He's not that old. So it was like, you know, old Jeff. And like the thing we joked about with old Jeff, like his character, like we built out this apocryphal kind of backstory for old Jeff because he survives every major disaster at Cardiff. Mm-hmm. Like, like people get like the, you know, like summarily fired in episode mm-hmm. two. He's there, three, four. Like <laughs> the, the workforce is like, yeah, yeah. Like, right. everybody, and he's still walking around. And we're like, man, this guy is like the cockroach after the end of a nuclear disaster. <laughs> like he has staying power at the office. So we wanted, we wanted him back in a in a story beat in episode seven. Well, I and feel so, like I developed an an indecent pleasure in pointing out when old Jeff was in scenes and I feel like to mess with me yes. you put in the outline that some including these, it was like yeah, you know some old yeah. you know some engineers we haven't seen since Cardiff Electric are there and then I said in parentheses including our favorite old Jeff. <laughs> no you wrote CCR's favorite oh yeah that's right Rogers's favorite old Jeff old Jeff and so the script he saw said Rogers's favorite yeah <laughs> And it was so and it went all the way to production. Oh, so they, and they call it. They go, you know, and then we get to production. Like, who's old Jeff? And we're like, oh, uh, well, it's this guy. So they yeah. bring him in. They fit him, and he's excited to be back. And but like they start, they they put him on the call sheet as old Jeff. Oh god! And they're and the second second is going. Yeah. All right, old Jeff needs you to walk over here, and here's your mark, and you're gonna stay now. Old Jeff, you're coming this way. And then they had new Jeff. Well, that was I the was, name they came yeah, up with. Young the other Jeff. Guy. Yeah, young Jeff. And I, but I was there producing, <laughs> and all this guy, all this extra who was lovely knows is that like he is my favorite extra, but right. he has not been on the show this season, and he's been summoned specifically because I have oh, a fondness for god. him, and it was a. Uh, it made I, Chris very uncomfortable. I was he was on set. But I don't know. Yeah, he maybe, was great. Maybe that's, that's charming only back. to me. Um, but <laughs> that is charming. Go, <laughs> go put it yeah. on the commentary track. <laughs> we're gonna leave, and you're gonna, gonna be like that. Ten minutes and old Jeff. Could we just? Yeah, we just have. <laughs> no, that's all we're yeah. leaving in. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna we be the entirety. It. Of it. Oh, we did it. Um, we're sending it directly to him. <laughs> <laughs> well, now he knows the whole you know, backstory. We'd be happy to have him. We appreciate his performance. We really should have brought him. There's an empty chair here, and I think we all know who's there in spirit. Uh, let me ask you just to to follow up um, that thing you were suggesting earlier that you know doing such a a, uh, an outline such a thorough outline uh, is preventative in a lot of ways so Mm -hmm. that you everybody knows everybody's on the same page Mm -hmm. uh, from the writers to the you know network whoever um was this a learning curve for you, or was this just a way that you did it from the beginning? Well, we like, have, were you getting scripts yeah. from the writers that were not what you thought they would be? I mean, we were we were so new when AMC yeah. picked up this show that, you know, uh, they paired us with a showrunner named Jonathan Lisko, who had come off of Southland and kind of came out of that John Wells school. Mm-hmm. And I think when you bring in a showrunner like that, they kind of install an offense almost the way, you know, like a basketball coach would. Uh, so I think what we do is really what Jonathan would do. Um, so, so we kind of learned that system from him, but uh, you know, I wouldn't change a thing about it yeah. because I, I, think, I think the long outlines efficient. also, you know, from we started those in season one just because the show was so specific in tone yeah, and in content in terms of what it was about that we needed to make sure everybody knew what they were talking about and that it it, it sounded right, so that mm-hmm. you know we could build that platform that we can all walk on with confidence, you know, while we're up, you know, mm-hmm. looking at the blue skies, mm-hmm. you know, like when we're figuring out the script. I think that was. 
that was where that came from, and it always just seemed to be really helpful to yeah, do that, that long makes a lot of an outline. Well, if you yeah. think about it, you have like you know we we had a fantastic room of just like embarrassing talent of, of shows we admired, shows we like loved, and, and shows that got us into this. So you know when you have an outline like that, you get to use everybody for longer mm-hmm. instead of like having one person really have to go in wrestle with this. Yeah, that's true. So I, I feel like that was indicative of you know kind of team scripts. Um, you know. The people who get credit deserve the credit because mm-hmm. they go away and they, they, they do the actual work of wrestling it. But um, I think a big line outline was also a way of keeping it ours for longer versus... Sure. And we didn't know. go as far as, you know, the Breaking Bad room, like the way Vince Gilligan does that room. is. Mm-hmm. I mean, they go down to the dialogue line. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're, they're putting all that stuff up on the board. We get it to the outline mm-hmm. phase so that it's a really long outline, very specific beats, but it's the story. And then we let... The writer go off and kind of really flesh that out. Sure. There's still it a discovery own. process. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. In the writing, and then they have to bring it back and endure our dumb jokes that we pitch. Yeah, yeah. What if he said what this? What if he said this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll write that one down, guys. Thanks. Well, that's, I mean, that's an important thing, right? Yeah. This, this show still has to have your voice, and mm-hmm. even if these outlines are created by the group, mm-hmm. ultimately, you two are the voice of this show. Yeah, I would say yes, and I, you know, it started with us, but I, that room. We didn't. We didn't hire any new writers for season two. We brought everybody back. Mm-hmm. So that that room, it was seven of us, mm-hmm. you know, and an assistant, two assistants. That you know, it would, it really felt like a collective in there. Um, if we were off, or if we were a little off base, we could count on any one of those writers bringing us right back into center mm-hmm. in a great way. Yeah, because I think we we you know what we really had was. A pilot and a Bible and kind of a broad amorphous vision, you know. But then you actually get into the room and do the work of being like, well, what is what is the show? You know, uh, right. that that's a whole other thing. You got you got to break. And so, like, I, I think everyone felt an ownership for that. And like the Chris was saying, yeah. yeah, sure. You know, the second year you come back and everyone knows what it is, so you don't have to spend that time. Um, you know, so I think if we if we felt a little more honed or polished going into our second season, I think it was just because there was this ownership and this institutional knowledge. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You, had, yeah. you had a year under your belts with all the same Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the pitch process like for this show? It was, I think it was unexpected, first mm-hmm. and foremost, because yeah. we had never sold anything. We had mm-hmm. never written professionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had written Halt and Catch Fire as the second spec oh, really? to try to staff. Interesting. They said, go write something else, and we, we wrote Halt and Catch Fire. And, what, uh, what made this yeah. the story you wanted to tell? My dad... Um, was in computers in Texas in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. And so that world was something I was intimately familiar with. Um, it was a story I had not seen. It was a different way into computers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we, so much of pop culture computer narrative is Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Ab- IBM, Apple. The reverse engineering story, which is boiled down to why people are either Mac or PC, not Mac or IBM. Mm-hmm was interesting to us yeah. and the more we researched that yeah. we thought there's something here this hmm. is an interesting kind of backdoor way into this world and uh, that to me was really fascinating and I think that you know when we were trying to figure out what we were going to write next we were both still at Disney yeah because I remember being like huddled in your office kind of like stealing time on a long lunch yeah with the door closed being yeah. like you know we want it to feel like a little like Glenn Gary Glenn Ross you mm-hmm. know and like like what is like a like a high pressure world that we haven't seen and it's like you've seen doctors you've seen lawyers you've seen yeah, you know there was there's kind of all these things and, and then the idea kind of talking about Chris's dad that there was a story you didn't know uh, about the founding of computers you know that kind of feels like dramatic pay dirt 
in history when you can find that and be like, oh wait, this this was like significant and. I don't know. I, I remember that being a big part of it. it, and also just the freedom to like write something we didn't have to sell or anticipate an audience, like we were talking about mm-hmm. earlier, was like just write something you love. We're going to use it as a sample just to show your voice. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe not thinking too much about like where this could end up, maybe freed us to write something personal. And I think mm-hmm. that that shone through. Yeah, that was it. Was just to be able to share some anecdotes from you know my dad's life with Chris. And there's only there's actually only one moment that is verbatim from my dad's life really? in computers and it's in the pilot mm-hmm. and my dad used to go on sales calls with an se a sales engineer just like joe and gordon do in the first episode and the moment where joe is trying to close the guys across the table at <laughs> lunch and gordon interrupts and then in the parking lot later yells at him is something that verbatim happened to my dad my wow. dad did that to one of his sales engineers and i think that story like helped kind of crystallize for us their relationship mm-hmm. at least in season one um but then once we dug into the history behind that and what else was going on it was it was just really rich yeah and it, you know and but you know i mean it, it's funny like how when the light shines on a thing it suddenly seems important in hindsight because i you know it was one of the things where we wrote it and our reps were like, oh, okay, this is pretty good. Like, we're going to send you on, like, the four meetings you can go on for this, which right. are, like, HBO, Showtime, AMC, and maybe there wasn't a fourth. And were these um, just generals? Or generals. Yeah. Exactly. So it was like, come in, have your bottle of water. Like, great, you know, if we you're ever right for something, and, yeah, exactly. we'll let you know. And then, you know, we got to AMC, and uh, the way we always tell this is, you know, like, we're in a conference room, and there's, like, more than one person, and they all have the script in front of them, and it's like, what's happening? Like, this is different. <laughs> yeah. It was actually our last meeting on the books yeah. that was not going to be, I don't know, it was the most exciting thing we had left on our books yes. for the year. Because <laughs> we've been studying their, like, development thing and being like, we'll take a job on any of these shows. Yeah, and they and yeah. the, and the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the our reps had called and said, okay, you know, you're going to go in, and they, they may want to talk to you about Halt for a little bit, but they're also going to want to talk to you about their development slate. And so I remember getting off the 10 in Santa Monica and pulling into a gas station that's right off of the Cloverfield 26th Street exit and just practicing all of the sound bites I thought in my head made Halt sound good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, we're just going to, I want to just talk. And we kind of made yeah. this pact going in there. I was like, I want to just talk about the show as long as they will let us yeah. until they throw us out of the room. And... Um, well, what they were more interested than we thought, so we oh, actually yeah. ended up talking to them for a couple hours. <laughs> yeah. You could go yeah. beyond soundbites. Yeah, exactly. What, what did you know about the show at this time? Oh, well, I, I mean, mean it had the pilot, obviously. It's, but, it's like, the process of them being like, do you know what a season this would be? And you just, you're lying through your teeth when you yeah. go, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> like, but, well, you, but, you know, if it's a long conversation, you need more than yes, I know. Yeah, I think it was, we yeah. knew that they were going to get into the computer business, yes. there would be a computer that needed to be built. There would be a plot engine in the story that could carry them forward. Uh, take on IBM as a as a big bad guy. We we talked. Yeah. I think we talked a lot about Joe and Gordon kind of crossing paths, where Joe was going to become more human over the course of the season, and mm-hmm. Gordon was going to lean more into the careerist stress and mm-hmm. egomania that he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cameron was going to be the the chaos factor in yeah. all of that. The relationship between her and Joe, but we actually. So they said, the first meeting they were like, so do you, you know, um, have you thought about what the season would be? And we, we said, well, we wrote a, 
We wrote a, a Bible. Which was so pretentious of us. So presumptuous. <laughs> we as, had nothing of us else to like, just do. be like, and we have a Bible. You yeah. know, like, like, which, like, well, you we don't like, normally do. First, you know what I mean? Yeah. But if you, yeah. lo- if you know no, thank your God. story, if yeah. you love breaking story, yeah. yes. which you guys clearly do, like, you were immersed in this. We also There's no reason not to, to get those yeah. ideas down. We also yeah. just, like, don't know, which was yeah. kind of great, because we were like, sure. this is probably what we should do. I would have done anything at that I would, like, flown my dad in from Dallas and, like, here he is. You want to talk to him? You know what I mean? Like, it was. Absolutely. We so we we had all this downtime and we just we just wanted to put this thing together. So we mentioned that in the room, <laughs> and then they read it, and we clearly had no idea how yeah. a television series worked. And I mean, like, it was like in crayon. Yeah, oh, I don't know. It this was is, construction uh, paper, mm, and uh, it was yeah. So they we actually had to work our way back from that. <laughs> Where our agents are like, whatever you do, don't send them that. And we're like, like oh, whoops, oh, sorry. <laughs> so wait, yeah. that did, that what did this terrible uh, Bible look like? No. Oh God! No, it, was, it wasn't as bad as it was, all that. It wasn't. There was some yeah. of the stuff was preserved because it yeah. actually evolved into uh, this thing called a format, format document, which is more of like an overview of the series as opposed to episode by episode. Mm-hmm. And AMC, you know, it took a year before we actually went in there and pitched for real whether or not they were going to make the pilot. Right. By that point, we had Melissa Bernstein and Mark Johnson on board as our producers. And part of this process, which AMC, which people refer to outside AMC as the Bake Off. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows what the Bake Off is with AMC. Um, you should actually talk about it for the people. So the Bake Off was, they, they do these pilot windows at AMC. And they, they did them once a year. And mm-hmm. we were the first year they did a fall Bake Off as well right. as a spring Bake Off. Right. And they have all the pilots they're considering producing. And they pick however many. And I think the year before us, they had picked none. Yeah, and I, I think, thankfully, we were a year of, like, reformation a little bit, because they had yeah. grown in, in scope and grandeur to these things that they would host. I think it was at Shutters in Santa yeah, Monica. Shutters on the Beach. And people yeah. would come in with, like, with talent and multimedia presentations <laughs> in, in, like, these, like, big, splashy kind of, uh, you know, like, blow-you-away pitches. And I think they were trying to get a little bit back to, to basics with yeah. art here, where it was, like, give us a great format, give us, a, you know, a, an idea where the show will come in and, and, and kind of, like, uh, you know, face the dissertation questions for about an hour, and then hmm. and then we'll make a decision. So, which makes a lot more sense. Yes. Like, yeah, I yes. think it was. You're good. trusting these people to deliver the show that you want. Make sure yeah. that they are confident in the show that they're delivering. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and like, I think like, that like, was. Everyone ask all the questions they want to yeah. ask. Too. I think that was a big piece. It of really it. did feel like a dissertation defense. It did. Sure. So it, it was. It was. It, it was ten people around the table. Joel Silliman had flown in from New York, and mm-hmm. um, they had read the format beforehand. But this this mutant, homunculus Bible thing that we had written, <laughs> pieces of that made it into the professional, polished format that mm-hmm. we delivered. Yeah, and pieces of it made, you know, ended up being in the show. I think they were worried. Yeah. I think the only thing that they were worried about with the, the original Bible that we presented was that it was very uh, tech-focused. We just wanted sure. to prove that there was yeah. computer story out there that we could mm-hmm. mine. Yeah. But ultimately, um, and they were interested yeah. in the character stuff, of but course. when we came back in and pitched a couple months later, Ben Davis was working with us kind of off-screen because he really wanted to do this show, and he would call us from the set of the, of the Killing in Vancouver, and he would say, "Okay, so, you know, somebody's going to ask you a question about Joe, where <laughs> Joe comes from. Why does Joe do what he does? You know, like what's your answer to that going to be?" And so we would be able to. Mm-hmm. He kind of coached us, and uh, we were able to find those character answers. And we came back in there and pitched a very character centric story. Yeah. And from that, they greenlit the pilot, where mm-hmm. they picked up the pilot for development. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I'm curious just to dig in on that question a little bit. You know, and this is very specific, but when you're you're pitching a character with a secret, mm-hmm. as Joe had in those early mm-hmm. episodes, 
how do you answer that question while still? I mean, you you sort of want to even want to entice the buyer at the right. same time. It's tough. I mean, there was a lot of stuff in the pilot script that was put in there to get the pilot made. Yeah. That then was pulled out. Yeah. Wisely, so that you could have long tail on that story for a season or a That's series. Right. Yeah. And then further. Once but you shoot the pilot, the script. yeah, because I would say that the That's big note really was they finished the bios down. in the first yeah. episode in the pilot script. Cameron wrote had the finished bios done, and she and Gordon and Joe turned a computer on in his garage. Wow! Just where to show exactly, well, and, was, you, yeah. and you know exactly where Joe's scars are from. Like, like, like it's all, it's all. Yeah, in, it was all in the original thing we wrote. We there wasn't a. You didn't play it so slow. You know, like, I think the note on everything. You knew why Gordon and Donna had moved from California. Yeah, you just take everything and kind of, you know, and AMC prides themselves, I think, rightly on on being able to kind of, you know, go slow, go with story. Like, Mm -hmm. like, let's savor this a little bit more. Um, Whereas I think we felt the need to to answer all questions, you know. Right. But that is absolutely a a selling tool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is like, you you don't want them to have these questions going, well, I... I don't know anything, or I right. can't get a handle on this character because there's so many secrets. Yeah, so and that's, putting the script is really smart, but it you have to hope, as it did with you guys, it yeah. gets taken out. Yeah, later. It's, it's, it evolves, and that we we had great people to help us do that yeah. in terms of the network, and also Melissa Bernstein and Mark Johnson mm-hmm. and Mark Syriac coming in and saying, "Let's maybe pull this, or let's take this back to where you guys had it before we added mm-hmm. all this stuff in." That was really um, clarifying for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you know, then you get into the room, and you have a character with a secret, and it's tough to pay off a secret and have it be satisfactory. Yeah. I didn't realize how difficult that would be. (laughs) Um, And Mark Johnson used to talk about this all the time. He used to say, like, there's just nothing, there's nothing you can do that will satisfy everybody and go, oh, my God, that's, you know, like, it's... uh, I mean, like, look at True Detective Season 1, which I loved, but, I mean, I I think most people would agree the least satisfying part was finding out, Mm -hmm. you know, the mystery was what was great, and, like, just the weird, like, oh, God, like, what it is in your mind is always better than making a choice, because when you make a choice, you you exclude all other choices, you know, and so you're never going to be able to, you know, uh, stimulate people in the same way is when it's kind of open ended and, and vague, and it, it can the possibility is is there. Um, so you know that's a, I, that's yeah. something people should be wary of in writing too. I think yeah. it's a lesson learned for us yeah. in season one was that if you put a secret before the show starts, mm-hmm. people aren't invested in how that secret came to be hmm. in a way, and as much uh, it can be done. I mean, it's been done wonderfully. We just <laughs> I, I feel like <laughs> you know, like you you just. It's better for, uh, also for our show, the characters in the world is so forward-looking that anything looking backwards for any reason, character, technology, otherwise, felt weird in mm-hmm. our show. It felt like it just slowed things down. Our show moves, we think, so fast and moves forward so fast that, and everybody's looking forward that this season, you know, there are a couple pretty profound secrets, especially between Gordon and Donna. And we wanted the audience to discover those secrets with those characters in real time and then mm, sure. see that tension build between the two of them as we see that we know what yeah. they're harboring, but we, you know. Well, that is, for a writer, oftentimes a much more interesting way to mm-hmm. approach these things. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it was also, I'm struck by, uh, you know, we're both in our early 30s, so, so the shows that really made us want to do this are those kind of first-generation difficult men shows. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was very much a time of, like, 
who's your anti-hero male antagonist and what is his issue? Is he Tony Soprano with panic attacks? Is he Don Draper with a false identity? Is he, you know, like, mm. it was a time where things were really being built around that. And I think when our show started to really thrive on its own was when we, you know, tried to explode that a little bit and tried to get away from mm-hmm. yeah. that being the motor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I think the secrets are part and parcel, I think, of that great wave of TV. Yeah. But But now... I think you need more than that. I, I think you, you do well to, uh, you know, to, to learn from that and take from it what is useful, but well, it sort but of not became build. a gimmick yeah. at a certain point. Yeah, at a certain right. point, so yeah. Your voice had to find its own. Totally. Well, because right. it's like, well, to find its own. It's the difference between a, a cop who's a serial killer. Sorry. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. It's yeah. like it's a, it's a difference between a staffing sample yeah. and a series. Yeah. You know, and like, it, what are the real legs of the story that feel unique and original? And mm-hmm. and you know. It, once we got into a writer's room, we started really talking about these characters. Who do we want these people to be and what will be interesting to watch? Mm-hmm. These writers had all come off those shows Chris was listing, so mm-hmm. they, they wanted to do something different. We wanted to do something different to differentiate that. And, yeah. and um, you know, when, when things started to really open up in season one and invert those expectations that people had kind of assigned to the show at the beginning, um, that's when we started having yeah. a lot of fun in the writer's room, and I think that's when the show started to really become alive. Yeah. And, who, yeah. uh, tell me a little bit about the writer's room and how it is managing these people who had so much more experience than you did. Oh, man. Well, okay. I was like, this, this part is really fun. Uh, <laughs> it was a murderer's row of talent. It was, as I said, our showrunner was Jonathan Lisko uh, of Southland, of mm-hmm. NYPD Blue a million years ago um, in, in the John Wells School. But then uh, Jason Cahill uh, was one of our writers, uh, started on ER and has had a brilliant career. Davi Waller from Mad Men, Zach Whedon from Deadwood. Uh, and Jamie Pacino, who is a uh, playwright we love, that that's also been on everything. Um, so we opted to keep it very kind of small and high level versus um, having more people and you know trying some untested voices. Uh, and I guess I would just say it was intimidating as hell to walk yeah, in there. I feel like we were the untested voices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had two. Well, which is why you do want to beef it up yes. with all yeah. of these experienced people. Yeah, I think that was really that was a really good decision to do that. And look, you know, I mean, AMC brought us a short list of people they were yes. reading, and it mm-hmm. was it was incredible. I mean, and and um, we met with these folks, and and you know, it's also a personality test, and, mm-hmm. you know, and and uh, we got along with them all great, and I, I think that we got them in the room, and it was really. Jonathan, you know, Jonathan really ran that room in season one because we didn't know what we were doing. Sure. It was mm-hmm. the first writers room we'd walked into, and and he was very encouraging and protective of what we wanted to do with the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and That's he would great. defer to us ultimately. And that well, that was an was arranged cool. marriage with him. Yeah, right? yes, and yeah, uh, you know that, that can typically go another direction yeah, where sure. like the door is closed in the creator's face, and and that's it. You know, thanks for writing one episode and. He was not that. He was 180 degrees from that. He was a mentor to us. He became a great friend of ours, and it was just so awesome to to have that. And he protected us, I think, and he gave um, power and leverage to us in the room Mm -hmm. in a very magnanimous fashion. And I think that helped empower us with the other writers, Mm -hmm. at least at the beginning. But once we all got to know each other, it was pretty quickly. Everybody has an amazing sense of humor. It's a fun room. Um, yeah, and if you if you hire the right people and mm-hmm. make everyone feel safe and taken care of, you should you know titles should quickly dissolve, and oh, it's absolutely. just it's just a best idea wins. Yeah. Like we're yeah. all having conversations. It's not like it has to come from an EP or you know. Right. Um, and, and I just I think that's so much what you need to have a good show because you have to be able to go in there and bomb forty times. Like you have to be able to go in there and just say anything mm-hmm. to get to the good stuff and. Um, you know, yeah. I know. I know. I was like super scared going into it that I wouldn't want to speak up because these really? people were like 
you know, I'm like these cute shows. <laughs> but the great thing about having created the show is I, I just think we cared so much. Mm-hmm. It was like you couldn't stay quiet. Yeah, you sure. could. You know, well, I think even even a high level room like that wants someone uh, uh, strong steering. Mm-hmm. You know, they want Absolutely. someone to know what this show is so mm-hmm. they can jump onto, as you say, that platform. Mm-hmm. Um, what what did the between Jonathan and the room? What did they all bring that you guys were missing? Well, you know, I think they they brought well collectively they brought an outside perspective mm-hmm. to the show. What makes the show good? What makes it interesting? And I think the answer for Chris and I, at least initially, was well because we wrote it. You know, yeah. like I like it. I <laughs> yeah. think it's cool. Like you know, like we had to kind of redo yeah. that and re-earn that. Um, Jonathan approaches things from a very he's a very strong intellect and wit. Um, he has a great emotional reasoning to him, reasoning to him when he writes characters and why they do things. He likes to go for the unexpected kind of emotional choice between characters. Um, he he can write combative things very well between people. Yeah. Um, Jason, you know, I think Jason is also another. You know, they're all mammoth intellects, but Jason would come in and Jason was very fascinated by the technology. Like, it kind of, in a way that almost surprised Chris and I. He really pushed on the technology, and he wanted the technology story to be interesting and very engaging, and he wanted to really push through the maybe the dry cliche about computers and, and the, the mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And I think that, you know, he also has an amazing, eccentric, yeah. uh, wonderful mind that will bring in total X factors into the story and uh, blow you away. Yeah, like I'd add that, you know, like we're, Chris was a year married when we did the show Mm -hmm. and I got married during the first season of the show. You know, and we're writing about the struggles of people who are are trying to have it all and raise children in 1983, which is the year I was born. You know, there was something about having like people who would like have these lot like what every writer brings to the room is like their neuroses and their stories and their fears and I think there was something amazing about hiring people who had you know been and kind of you know had these long marriages like based these things a little more concretely than we had at that point you know and um you know I think of like uh, there there's like an amazing fight in the, the second to last episode of the first season uh, between two married people on the show that it's like I couldn't have written that you know like like I, like, like it was just yeah. like there was like a depth of experience in real life mm-hmm. you, know, you know they bring themselves in a way and if you mm-hmm. if you're smart and you hire people from a diversity of backgrounds and you know and ages and experiences you know you can hope to weave that into that show and and um, you know I'm just so thankful that we kind of hired the people we did you know mm-hmm. um, well that was uh, it was another question I had for you guys. I mean, your father's story was a jumping off point for mm-hmm. this, but at a certain point you have to become these characters. Mm-hmm. Then these characters have to become you. So so what of you is in these people? A lot of it feels very, and I will say this as you know, a television writer watching the show, a lot of it feels like oh my god, this is about writing TV. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Oh no. I mean... No, in a great no, no, it's way. It's getting in there. You found a metaphor. It is. I mean, it, there's a there's a metaphor to artistry in this show in terms of mm-hmm. what they're all trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that we like... The, there's, there's a story here about ambition. Mm-hmm. There's a story here about mm-hmm. the division between work and, and home life. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's, the, there's the story of, of what costs... Um, it, it takes on you personally to try to really, you know, put yourself into something you're creating. Um, so that definitely comes from us. I think that, you know, there are a lot of things. You know, like, everything from some of the historical stuff and some of the anecdotal stuff that's happening in computers and, and with the computer story in season one and season two, 
Some of that is coming directly from the lives of our technical advisors mm -hmm. who would just sit down with and talk to for hours and they would talk about, you know, playing intense charades with Bill Gates at all in Vegas at Comdex, you know, and uh, these really competitive, uh, you know, competitions these guys were having and, you know, to... You know, the the bird story in episode three that, that you know, where Gordon finds the injured bird outside. Um, you know, that happened to me while we were writing season one. Um, you know, there are tons of stuff from people's lives uh, and the writer's lives that go into into the show. Sure. But maybe it's, maybe it's worth saying that, like, no... I think no characters are directly representative oh, of, of course. But but this is good because you always have to kind of say this to your wife <laughs> where it's like this isn't about us this is just a, this yeah. is a story even though we had this conversation this is not about us. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because that, that could well, drive you yeah, crazy. Well, it but takes yeah. on a different meaning in mm -hmm. a different context or you know ab absolutely. But there's, there's a but you can also just like engage like uh, I always think about like like the Cameron character is very into like you know punk rock and stuff that like like 14 year old me was so serious about and like I almost like I feel like I'm high-fiving like that part of my life and being like you stayed cool man like you, you stayed <laughs> you stayed punk like you did it even though yeah. I'm in here in, in a polo shirt today but um you know like I think you can indulge things like that but ultimately like it it's it's got to belong to everybody you know sure. like it, it's you so many voices so many voices yeah. of the writers and the actors yeah. I mean like that you know like all of that is informing who these people are at this point but yeah you know I, I mean I you know just knowing Knowing Chris as well as I do, I do see Chris in some of the characters, particularly Cameron. <laughs> I get I get Gordon a lot, whether I like it or not. <laughs> I've had friends come to me and be like, "Gordon is the worst projection of you <laughs> I've ever seen." That's funny. Um, my Does wife that make that him too. easier or harder to write? I've, I like I, writing Gordon for me is uh, maybe too easy. <laughs> um, I do I do love writing for Gordon. Um, but that said, I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's elements, there's so many pieces of every, of, of so many people in all sure. these characters. I mean, I'm, I know there are pieces, I'm sure Jonathan's relatives in Donna, you know, mm -hmm. I know that, you know, like there's, there's, my uncle was a, a Dallas County Sheriff, you know, I know there's like mm -hmm. just slivers of him and John Bosworth. Mm -hmm. Here, here's a question for you. Was it hard coming into the show, thinking of your dad a little bit as Joe McMillan to let go of that and say like Joe McMillan's going to become... Like, you never said to me, like, my dad is Joe McMillan, but, like, yeah. you know, right. like, to just let Joe McMillan become what the room kind of made him and what Lee Pace made him, or, or were, were you just like, no, I'm... There's something about seeing Lee Pace play Joe. Well, as soon as he got on set, mm -hmm. when we were there shooting the pilot, it was like... That's not my dad. You know what I, mean? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not just visually. It was yeah, just like, yeah, that's yeah. not my dad. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah, I yeah. feel like... So that, that, that freed guy. you from it a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think Lee really brought a, a, an energy to yeah. that character that informed him and his performance and, and brought that for us in the room, and we were able to pull that apart and write to that. Mm -hmm. I think that um, my dad, you know, some, sometimes will think that he's, you know, it's a story about me, man. And when I was like, well, you know, I don't know about that. Uh, Let him tell his friend. Yeah, exactly. Because exactly. his dad is covered in scars. Though. That's, uh, that's <laughs> but only after the show. The listener should know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, what were some of these things that you discovered about the characters once the actors got involved and that you could mm. sort oh, of lean into? That's like the moment. I mean, that's yeah. like, most famously, you know, on Breaking Bad, you know, the idea that Jesse was going to be killed off after an episode, like, I think you look at what you have and then write to it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, Toby Huss is probably the biggest example of a character that I think we wrote pretty, you know, 
not I, stock is too harsh, but we thought he was a little bit more of like a, just like a hard ass boss. Mm-hmm. And then he just had so many kind of colors and vulnerability, and, and and just gave us so many ways to go that that you know ended up having being a huge role sure. in, in both our first season and much more in our second season. So I think that you the, adjust. Yeah, the actors, all of our cast. Uh, gave us performances that helped us explode those um, initial archetypes they all started in. Mm-hmm. You know, alpha salesman, the the nerdy engineer, sure. the the housewife, the the punk prodigy, the hard ass boss like Bosworth. I think you get you you get fragility and this humanity in uh, in Lee's performance and an eccentricity that his mind is just on a different wavelength that you you want to you want to write to it. It's just mm-hmm. interesting, you know. Like I think Scoot comes across as quite an alpha male even though he's this kind of ne'er-do-well a lot of the times and and relegated to second place um you know carrie bechet you know and and mckenzie they both possess these qualities that that really um undercut those archetypes in a wonderful way and and Mm -hmm. just provide a wonderful dimensionality to the characters that you want to write to and i that's when we have the most fun is Writing against what the character would do. We actually had to pull ourselves back from that sometimes in the writer's hmm. room where it would be, well, the more interesting choice would be, you know, if right. Cameron joined a convent and it'd be like, well, right. well that might be too much, right. you know, and then right. you come back. But, like, you, you, you do the unexpected thing with the character, and, and I think that that helps solidify who they are better than just doing the same thing every episode. Mm-hmm. I think that that's sure. where the fun yeah. is. And for their part, I mean, like, to their credit, they all really care. Like, there's no actor on the show that just shows up and is like, what are my lines? Great, this is my character. Like, they're all... <laughs> out there thinking about like this is what I wear this is this is what I care about like this is um, you know I, I think there's an enormous amount of intentionality in the performances on the show and uh, viewing that as collaborative I think is you know if I can pat us on the back like something we've done well because mm-hmm. I think you need to be open to like this is an amazing thing we could do you know that we didn't think of and that didn't come out of the room but but this character has given us this chance so you know, credit to them too because you know they start the character start is yours, but mm-hmm. you know I think they they come to belong to everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And this is I, I wanted to ask about this. I've asked uh, a few other uh, show creators about this, and I think it applies. But and it's along the same lines. You're writing characters who are smarter than you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's hard. Yeah. <laughs> How do you write characters who are smarter than you? Because you're only as smart as you. Yes, right, right. absolutely. I think, well, we talk about this a lot, that it's a writer's room full of liberal arts majors yeah. uh, trying to do a show about the nitty-gritty of computer technology from 30 years ago. Um, but if the emotional truths are there, you know, even if the specifics at that moment are, what if he breaks the computer, you know, and then you go <laughs> find what is actually right. happening. Yeah. That helps. I think the collective brain power helps yeah. as well. Yes. And as long as you... And the actor convey to the viewer that the character knows exactly what they're doing, exactly what they're talking about, knows whatever they're discussing, like the back of their hands, and you trust them because of their sheer confidence. Even if the lines are, <laughs> the lines are accurate, but like even if the lines brush off you like nothing, and yeah. you just you're just feeling like a confidence from that character. Hmm then you're with them. And then you can trust them that, okay, he, you know, Cameron knows what she's talking about when it comes to software, great. But she's upset about this. Right. So now I can be with her there because she, I can trust her about her emotions here because I trust her about computers over here. I think that that, you know, those those components really help. Yeah, I would add just like the the good faith effort by us to learn this stuff is really valuable because when you reduce complex technical things to 
the terms you need to understand them as as me as a as a history major you know uh, out of Virginia, you then make it possible for characters to explain to other characters on screen. Uh, you know these these complex things and like like and I think you know getting back to like the wire like some of the juice of it is like I want to feel like I learned something mm-hmm. you know like like so so yeah there's some time where they're going to be talking about like uh, hinged motherboards and it's just gonna it's gonna fly right over me but there's sometimes I'm like oh I actually do think I understand a little bit mm-hmm. about you know the subcategories of machine language all of a sudden and like it's kind, I, I do feel kind of smart walking away from this show <laughs> yeah um, so having to learn it ourselves I think is actually kind of like a great thing that you sometimes just kind of pass on whole cloth to the other characters. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. This is that translation process. Yeah. When, yeah. The, when we have to come up with a big idea that wins the day, that's maybe the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. Because what is that going to be? You don't want it to feel too hindsighty and winky. Right. Um, you know, we had to do that with Joe a couple times this season. Mm-hmm. What is Joe's big idea? What's a smart thing Joe could say here? You right. know, it, 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 it gets... I mean, you got to do that. you got to research that stuff. And then... You can't you can't just come up with something that feels like Chris is saying unsatisfactory when you hear it. Where you go, where he comes in and here's his right. big aha moment, and I don't even know what he's right. saying. Right, right, right. You know, so like this, like the, this last episode that just aired last oh, night. God, you know, yeah. episode six. You know, he comes to them and says, "I want you to have mutiny run on Unix." Well, okay, we all saw Jurassic Park when we were kids. We know <laughs> Unix, the word. Right. You know, and then later there's a reveal that they're using Ethernet and broadband technology. So there's certain words that, mm-hmm. you know, you can for a second put on your viewer hat and say, okay, if, if they say that to me and I know it's 1985 and I know that's where things are headed, right. that's smart. Yeah. I get it. You know, and I think that that, that line that we have to walk is well, difficult. You, but, you you know, I need... I need someone to be like, broadband, cool, why? And it's like, he's like, well, because this will make modems irrelevant. And it's like, that sounds like a big deal. Right. You know, Something's like, like, becoming so, irrelevant. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> wow. Chris Campbell probably had to explain that to me that way for that to, to get into the show I, sometimes, I think. And I mean, yeah, it's... you got to find the, white, like, the right way to The hardest it. part, though, is, uh, like, it's one thing for them to say it, but last night's episode kind of blows me away so much because, like, they have to touch stuff and do stuff with their hands where it's like, well, that has to be right, too. Right. And when you have to do that, it's when it's like, oh, God. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. God. <laughs> like, that's when it's that's much harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's very funny. Yeah. Um, well, okay, first of all, the finale is on uh, tomorrow. Uh, this is recorded. Yes, I mean, so it'll be released. August 2nd. Oh, yeah, yeah, August 2nd. Tomorrow, Monday, August 2nd. Yeah. Yes. Uh, people should watch that. Uh, if you have not seen the show, go watch it. I would even say that people can jump on the second season. Oh, yeah. Like, it, Absolutely, in many yeah. ways, there was a big paradigm shift, mm-hmm. and, and it feels like a complete, again, a complete story yeah. in the second season. We're in a comic book store, so I feel like the way I, the way I describe this is that season one can almost be read like issue zero, like the origin uh, story of yeah. the characters, then, yeah. then, you know, then you're actually That's with the Justice League in season two. And then if you're curious, it's on Netflix, and you can yeah. just power through. Yeah, exactly. And it is yeah. fun. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, and it's it's a good show, and it's an interesting show, and it is a show that, uh, you know, I'm sorry to say, rewards the kind of binge-watching. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's right? a fun As much way as the episodes yeah. stand on their own, it's it's a fun show to watch that way, because the characters are, you, you want to live with them for, for long periods of time. Oh, that's good. Um, that's good. We will wrap up, as we always do, by asking you what you are watching on television, what yeah. movies you are excited about, what what you're talking about with each other, with your room, with your families. Uh, Chris Kentwell, what are you watching? Well, right now, my wife and I are, we have been, we had only done the first season of Veep, 
and we just finished uh, the second season. We did it in like four days. <laughs> uh, so we're gonna do. And I know we have we have two whole seasons <laughs> during hiatus to get through, and it, that show is that is just an amazing show. It just feels like the show to beat in comedy right now. It's so good. The cast is so good. Um, and now well, I'm doing season two of True Detective, yeah, which is which is out there and and fun and yeah, I think that and then movies. Is there any movie I'm looking forward to? I just I feel disconnected sometimes from movies because we're so knee deep in TV. You were the movie guy. I know I was the movie guy, and I feel like you know what you know what actually is on my list, the top of my list to watch because it's now on Netflix for free, is Richard Stanley's Hardware. Do you okay? Oh. Look this up. So okay, so there's a documentary about. Richard Stanley getting brought on to do The Island of Dr. Moreau, that movie in the 90s with Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer. And I just watched the documentary, and it's one of those documentaries that's like, here's a movie production that exploded from the inside out and everything went to hell. His movie that he made that got him that job is this really weird film called Hardware, which I think takes place in the near future, and Dylan McDermott gets some sort of scrap heap robot, like pieces of a robot for his wife, and then the thing is sentient and self-replicating or something, and it's one of those things what? where it's like I want to. It's like I just want to power through that while my wife is asleep. <laughs> this is going to be awesome, right. techno horror. So yeah. All right, nice. Uh, and then, man, I don't know. You know, like I really movies I've liked. I just saw Ex Machina in the last couple weeks, and I thought mm-hmm. that was fantastic. But I will say, um, and I'm not like a big trailer junkie. Like I don't really like go get crazy about trailers, but. Um, my wife sent me the trailer for Creed with Michael B. Jordan. Oh, yeah, that looks good. I got so, like, just, like, viscerally <laughs> adrenalized. When Rocky shows up yeah. in his what restaurant. He's just, like, running in here. front of those motorcycles, and guys are doing wheelies, and then he's yelling. It's, it's awesome. It's awesome. And that's that's how I want to feel. Um, sure. You know, like, like I feel like I, like, watched that a second time and then, like, went for kind of a fast run, you know? <laughs> and uh, it's great when movies can make you feel that way. I hope the movie lives up to the trailer. But, uh I'd say that's like the experience I'm having. Like I liked the Nick. I just saw the Nick, but mm-hmm. but feel things I felt about <laughs> the Creed trailer, guys. Watch All right, it. There yeah. you go. Good recommendation. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you for uh, having us. Everyone should watch the uh, season finale of Halt and Catch Fire. Please do. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 